I want to tell you about a boy named Fred. Now, Fred was born in 1928 outside of Pittsburgh. He was a shy, introverted boy who was also overweight. So because of this, he was frequently teased and bullied. He was also homebound a lot due to fits with asthma. So he had a difficult childhood. And oftentimes other students would call him Fat Freddy. You could say he was a lonely child. But he did have a lot of stuffed animals and a ventriloquist dummy in his room. So he often created his own little world in his bedroom. And as best he could, he learned to become friends with himself. Now thankfully, when he got into high school, life got a little better. He overcame his shyness. He made a couple of friends, and believe it or not, one of his good friends was the captain of the football team. He was elected student council president. He was a member of the National Honor Society, and he became editor-in-chief of the school's yearbook. Then he went on to college, and he graduated magna cum laude in 1951 with a bachelor's degree in music. He wanted to go to seminary, but instead, Fred decided to work in a fairly new field called television. So he moved to New York City and worked on such shows as Your Hit Parade, The Voice of Firestone, and a few others. After a couple of years of doing this, he returned to Pittsburgh to work for the local public television station. He was hired as the program developer there, so he helped to develop a children's show. And he actually got to use his love of stuffed animals and, and puppets that he had when he was a child, and he was able to create some puppets, some characters for the show. He also had the opportunity to finally go to seminary while he was working there. And so in 1962, he graduated magna cum laude with a bachelor's in divinity. And he became ordained as a Presbyterian minister in 1962. Now Fred didn't feel the calling to lead a church the way most ordained ministers would but he felt called to minister to children and their families through television. So he had an opportunity to move to Canada and host his own children's TV show up in Canada, and he did that for the next four years. After that, he moved him and his family back down to Pittsburgh in 1967, and he was able to finally host and produce his own show here in the States. That is when Fred Rogers started his show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. His show aired from 1968 to 2001. 33 years. Not many shows can say that they've been on air that long. And PBS continued to air reruns through at least 2016. He filmed 895 episodes. He wrote and edited all of the episodes. He wrote over 200 songs and 13 operas for the show. 
He played and sang most of the music. He's written dozens of books. He played most of the major puppet roles. He received a Lifetime Achievement Emmy in 1997, was inducted into the Television Hall of Fame in 98, or 99, excuse me, and received the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2002. He has received 43 honorary degrees. He was one of the country's most sought-after commencement speakers, giving over 150 speeches. Fred Rogers is believed to be an Enneagram 2. That's what I'm here to talk about today. Now, every Enneagram type has what we call a superpower, something they're really strong or really good at. And so if every type has a superpower, that means every type has the ability to be a hero. You and I can be a hero. Now on the surface, Fred Rogers is the antithesis of what we usually think of as a hero. That's also what Tom, and I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name, so forgive me Tom if you're watching this online, Tom Junod's thinking was as well. See, Tom was a writer. And there's a great movie about Tom that came out last year called A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Have any of you seen it? Only a few. It's an excellent movie. I highly recommend everyone go watch it. It's not what you think. It stars Tom Hanks as Fred Rogers. And it tells the story of writer Tom Junod who was hired to write a piece for Esquire magazine about modern-day heroes. And the editor assigned him Fred Rogers. And, as you can imagine, he was not too thrilled with that assignment. He thought it would be a puff piece. But his experience with Fred ended up changing his life. And Tom's piece became the cover of the magazine. It appears that not all heroes don red capes. Some actually put on a red sweater. In the book, Type 2s are referred to as the helper. Their superpower is sensing the needs and feelings of others. And if you do any studying on Fred Rogers, you will see that he did this in spades. All, of all the types, 2s are the most interpersonal. With them, it is all about relationships. They create comfortable and safe environments for others to be in. They are generous people. Twos are a lot like the golden retriever of the bunch. They are good empathizers, sensing the feelings of others. Our daughter Emerson, when she was probably one year old, couldn't talk. We were teaching her baby sign language. So we would put these videos on and they would show scenes of things and they would do the motions so that they could connect it. And this video, the very end of it, had a section about being sad and what the symbol for, or what the sign for that was. And it showed different babies that were hurt or crying. My daughter, barely one, couldn't speak watched this video and was in tears because she saw the other people hurting 
on the television. We believe our daughter Emerson is a two. Now there's, like all Enneagram types, there's lots of famous people that fall into this type two category. Here's some of the people that I found on the internet that they believe are type twos. Mother Teresa, Kathy Lee Gifford, Stevie Wonder, Debbie Reynolds, Nancy Reagan and Barbara Bush, Dolly Parton, Jimmy Carter, Bill Cosby, Princess Diana, John Travolta, and Desmond Tutu. Also in that list, I came across Tiny Tim, Santa Claus, and last but not least, Jesus Christ. Now please hear me, no Enneagram type is better than any other. We are all equal in the eyes of God, but apparently type twos are the most Christ-like. It's true, I read it on the internet. Now I do have a confession to make about personality types in general. I used to not like them. I've always seen myself as an individual, a unique being made by God, no one else like me. You could refer to me as a snowflake if you want to. But I don't like or don't believe in being pigeonholed. You may have similar feelings. Some of you may think this sermon series is kind of dumb or stupid. I remember when I was a college student, I worked at St. John's Lutheran Church in their summer youth program under Scott Noon. Some of you may even have known him. And he made me take the Myers-Briggs test. And this was the first time I'd ever heard of one of these personality tests. I thought it was interesting, but it didn't really mean much to me. I didn't connect with it. I felt like it was a way that people, a tool that people could use to label me or pigeonhole me. Or I've also felt like sometimes people use it as an excuse for how they act. Too often, I think people sometimes receive therapy counseling, some sort of self-help or self-identification only for it to become an excuse or a crutch. They, they start to bring on that victim mentality. Well, I'm this way because of X, Y, and Z. Now, that is true. You are often that way because of X, Y, and Z. But it isn't a license to act poorly towards yourself or others. I mean, think about it. Knowing an alcoholic is important, but it is not the destination. It's just the first step. It doesn't do much good if it doesn't lead you to sobriety. That's what I believe this Enneagram thing is all about. Learning your number should take away any excuse for you not to change. It should not leave you stuck in your old habits. So through the years... I have actually completely changed and have come to be a fan of these personality types. Not only as I, do I believe it's helped me come to terms with myself, with parts of me I had trouble loving or accepting, but I also believe it's helped me to love and extend grace to others that are different from me. Not too long ago, I was in a work situation where we took the DISC test, and I found it very helpful there was this one coworker who I felt like we had a lot in common. We were both creative types, but yet we kept butting heads. 
we never seemed to really connect and I couldn't understand why because it seemed like we had a lot in common. Then we both had to take this test for work. I scored very high on the S and the I if you're familiar with DISC. She was a high C which was my lowest score. Basically it means she was a very detail-oriented person, liked all the details. I'm very much not a detail-oriented person so you can see how that really went over. But it helped me to better communicate with her and to understand how she needed to operate. But I can still struggle with them, I'll be honest. Oftentimes I feel torn between one type or another. As I mentioned on the DISC test, I score high on both the S and the I. So sometimes I feel like, well, which one am I? And I struggle with the Enneagram as well. So if you've struggled with it, know that you're not the only one. When I took a really short test, it said that I was a three. When I took an inter intermediate long test, it still said I was a three. When I took the really long in-depth test, it said I was a two. So I was confused. Basically, my best guess is I am a two with a very strong three wing. And I'll explain that in a second. Basically, this is how, if, if you haven't read the book, and I encourage you to read the book. It's a good book. The author has a lot of good humor in it. I think you'll enjoy it. But the way the Enneagram works is there's nine personality types, but they're split into three triads. Okay, you've got the heart or feeling triad. And those are types two through four. You have the head or fear triad, and those are types five through seven. And then you have the gut or anger triad, which is eight, nine, and one. Last week, Brian talked about the Apostle Paul being a number one. He was part of that gut or anger triad. Today, we're moving into the feeling or the heart triad. These numbers are driven or motivated by feelings. Twos focus on the feelings of others. Threes have a real hard time figuring out their own feelings or recognizing feelings, and fours focus inwardly on their own feelings. In addition to the triads, you have wings. So I'm a two, but most, most Enneagram types will lean towards one of the numbers next to them. So I lean very heavily towards a three. And that can look very different than a two who leans towards a one. In addition to that, our personality types can be different when we're in stress or when we feel safe and secure. A healthy and secure two will portray many of the positive attributes of a four, while a stressed and unhealthy two can show or act out many of the negative traits of an eight. So you can see this Enneagram thing gets pretty complicated. I don't mean to get in the weeds, but I like it because it's not just a simple well, you got four different personality types and you're one of the four. It gets a lot more in-depth than that. And so I like how it can become more personalized. So let's look at a healthy or unhealthy two. Now, Brian had these great images or these great uh, props last week. I'm going to use them again. And we got some wind here to hold up the flag, which is nice. But a healthy two loves and cares for others well. They have appropriate boundaries. They're considered to be a friend to many. They know their identity and worth comes from more 
than their relationships and the people around them. That's a healthy two. Now, most people are probably more in the average area. This is the yellow. Average twos are generously are generous, but consciously or subconsciously, they oftentimes expect something in return for their generosity. They have poor boundaries, and their identity comes in relationship to others or in relation to others. So because of that, they're often attracted to powerful people, and they expect those powerful people to define them. They're good at spotting the needs of others, but not always good at recognizing or naming their own. Now, what about the unhealthy twos? Well, unhealthy twos can be codependent in their desire to be loved. Since they are good with people and good with emotions or feelings, they can be manipulative. They often play the role of the martyr. And they don't give out of love, but it's more like an investment, expecting something in return for what they do. But the bad thing is they probably don't even realize they're doing this. Now, according to the authors in this book, every Enneagram type has what they call a deadly sin. And the deadly sin of twos is pride. Now, pride is a tricky one because it doesn't always show up in overt ways. In fact, I think most twos don't like being around overtly prideful people. I think they have a hard time with that because they see this person as being very self-consumed. And we twos, well, we're good at seeing the needs of others. We're good at being outward and not focusing on ourselves. See how much better we are than them? Like I said, pride is a tricky one. My grandfather always said, there's no such thing as an unselfish act. And of the whole chapter in the book on twos, the opening quote is what got me the most. It's what I relate to the most. It says, I want you to be happy, but I want to be the reason why. I want you to be happy, but I want to be the reason why. I think that sums up the inner struggle of twos. At least it does for me. Now, this is not a psychology class. This is a sermon. So we are going to bring the Bible into this. And as Brian mentioned, and as if you read in the book, the Enneagram has been around for centuries. In fact, it's been around for so long that when Jesus was with his followers, he asked them to take the Enneagram type. That's why we know which character in the Bible is which type. That's obviously a joke. He did not do that. It has been around for a long time, but these are obviously educated guesses looking at the patterns and the personalities of these types. We believe that Martha in the Bible was probably a two. So I'd like to look at the story of Martha and Mary in Luke chapter 11. Or, I'm sorry, chapter 10, excuse me. It starts at verse 38. 
It says this, while they were traveling, now they is Jesus and his disciples here. He being Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by many tasks and she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. Now, just a little sidebar, that verse has always made me think of the Brady Bunch. Marsha, Marsha. Martha, Martha. You are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken away from her. I think most of us have heard this story before, probably several times. It's a story that talks about how Martha is distracted. She's too busy focusing on her to-do list, and she should be taking more time to focus on Jesus, right? Heard all that before? And that is true. It's a good lesson to take away from this story. But I believe Martha gets a bad rap oftentimes. So let's just look back. Let's back up for one second. In verse 38, it says, there was a woman named Martha who welcomed him into her home. Now, we don't know if Mary and Martha lived together, but it's very possible if they were both single that they both lived together in the same home. But it only mentions Martha inviting Jesus in. He, she was the one who opened her home to Jesus. Mary was there but it doesn't say anything about her inviting him in. Martha was the one compelled to meet the needs of Jesus. She was the one who created a welcoming and comfortable space for Jesus. And it's not the only time she does this. Her brother was Lazarus, the one who Jesus raised from the dead. And a few days after Jesus did that, they welcomed Jesus back into their home to basically have a celebration of his life and to thank Jesus for what he did. And it says that Martha again served him. You can find that in John, I believe, 11 and 12. Jesus was close to Martha, and he felt comfortable in her home. I believe this is a sign of a two. In John eleven five, 5, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, who was Mary, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now, most of the time, we hear Mary getting the recognition over Martha. But isn't it interesting in this verse where Jesus says who he loves, he mentions Martha's name, not Mary's. Not saying he doesn't love her, but it goes to show you that she was important to him. Now, if she is a two... If we go back to this first story, she also exhibits some unhealthy traits. Because when we look at verse 40, the lesson that we normally learn about this is that she has her priorities wrong. Well, think about it in terms of a two. Could it be Jesus is a powerful and important person? Remember what we said about averaged unhealthy twos? Who isn't giving her attention? She is giving of herself. She is serving, 
So Jesus is supposed to give her the attention, right? Because that's what she thinks. But instead, he's giving it to Mary. She sounds a little bit like a martyr. Look how I'm serving. I'm the one helping here. Why is Mary getting what I deserve? She didn't do anything. See the pride slipping in? When Lazarus died in, chap in John chapter 11, this clearly is a situation where someone is under grief and stress. Jesus shows up four days after Lazarus died. He ended up staying where he was longer. Now, we know this was because he wanted to do this great miracle, but she didn't know that at the time. And twos aren't good at seeing their own need or maybe naming their feelings. When they are stressed, oftentimes they will shift the blame. What does Mary say to Jesus the first time she sees him? If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But then she goes on to say, but I know that even now the Lord will do whatever you ask. Now, that could be a great statement of faith, and I'd love to think that. But as a two, it also could be slightly manipulative. It's your fault my brother died, yet I know I bet God will still do something if you ask. Now, I'm not here to beat up on Martha. I haven't had a brother who's passed away like that. I haven't been through that kind of stress. But I'm just showing you an example of what happens in unhealthy situations in the life of a two. And she does come around right after that to profess her faith that she believes that Jesus is Messiah and that God truly will do whatever he asks. So just like all of us, when we truly believe Jesus loves us unconditionally, we can start to act in a healthy way. We can stop trying and start being. Being the person that God intended us to be. The person that God made us to be. Well, like Brian said, I did test as a two. So I guess I should probably share a little bit about myself and my two-ness, quote-unquote. These are things that I've come to learn about myself, both good and bad, through my almost 50 years here on this earth. I believe they showcase many of the two attributes. I will say that my default in most new situations is to make people feel comfortable. I have always seemed to have this ability to get people to open up and trust me more easily than most. Once I make a friend, I expect them to stay friends. And one of the things that I've struggled with in relationships, and when a person who I felt we had a really strong connection and were close to, at some point they move on to a new stage in life, and we aren't close anymore and I can't understand why. I'm the type of guy who goes back to the old stomping grounds and wants to say hi to people I haven't seen in a long time. I've always tried to end relationships on good terms. I don't see myself moving from this set of friends to this set of friends. I see myself moving from this set of friends and adding this set of friends. 
I've not been good at being vulnerable or understanding my feelings or my needs. Now, maybe this is because I'm a guy, could be my up- upbringing or my German heritage, but I remember feeling angry or frustrated or unsettled at times, but couldn't always pinpoint why. One of the things that I credit Scott Noon for that time when I was working at St. John's, I don't even remember what the situation was, but there was something that was, was a frustrating or hard situation. And he asked me, well, how do you feel? And then I was like, well, I just don't like it. He's like, well, that's not a feeling. How do you feel? And I'd be like, well, it makes me mad. Well, okay, yeah, but well, how do you feel? And it drove me nuts that he kept asking that question because I couldn't answer it. I did not understand my own feelings. My helping shows up more usually personally in probably advice and teaching than it does manual labor. Not saying that I won't help out physically, but I probably lean more towards, well, let me tell you, let me advise you on how to do this. I have usually connected better with females than males. And this has always bothered me. But this is one of those aspects about personality tests that I think have helped. I now understand that being a two makes me connect with feelings of others more easily than probably most other men. And it's a trait that I believe women can naturally do more easily than men, which would be why I've probably connected more easily with them than with other men. I am competitive. You may not see it in certain circumstances, but I can be uh, quite competitive at times, but it rarely comes at the expense of a relationship. I will save the relationship more than I will try to win most of the time. It wasn't uncommon for me in my earlier years to befriend someone who may need a little fixing. It's kind of like bringing home a lost puppy. I was someone... I was somehow going to make their life or their situation better because of my advice or my generosity, etc. It's what they needed. I've come to also realize in my midlife age um, that not everyone needs my advice. And it's not always my job to do that. I've also come to realize in my life that a lot of my friends have usually been a little weaker than I am. I was usually the stronger personality, or maybe I was a little bit more grounded because it allowed me to be the hero. Again, pride sneaking in about me, about me, about me. It was safer for me to challenge them to be better than to put myself in an environment where I was having to be challenged myself. It can sometimes be easier for me to be more helpful or accessible to those that aren't, that aren't super close to me than those who are closest to me. And I think this is because I'm more exposed and vulnerable with those closest to me, so I don't always offer that help. Or, I'm not sure how to define my emotions or my needs if I am vulnerable. I can be prone to be passive-aggressive or not be as direct as I should be at times. Since I am naturally more focused 
on how someone else thinks or feels, I may keep from directly saying or doing something that makes them uncomfortable because it makes me uncomfortable to see someone else uncomfortable. But sometimes the things need to be uncomfortable so they can truly be at peace later. The opening quote of that chapter truly sums me up. I want you to be happy, but I want to be the reason why. I want the recognition for making you and your world a better place. I, as I said, I've learned as I've gotten older that I can't help any, everyone, nor should I. So let's look at three takeaways for being a two or interacting with a two. If you are in relationship or interacting with a two, tell them you appreciate them for all that they do. Let them know that they are loved and they are wanted. That's the first one. The second one I would encourage you to do is to be gentle in your criticism or critique. Now, I'm not saying that just because I want you to be gentle with me, but twos are relational and they sense feelings more easily. So they need to hear criticism objectively and not part of your emotional, negative emotional state. Or they may change to try to fix your emotional state and not the real problem. And number three, ask them what they need or take interest in their problems. Now they probably will say they are fine and they don't need anything or they may not even realize what they really need. If you are a two, here's three things for you. When feelings of resentment or entitlement creep up, don't push them away. But instead, ask why are they there? What is the source? What is the need in you that is causing you to feel that way? Be willing to admit your weakness and ask why is someone else's actions having that much power over you? Number two, when the urge comes along to help or rescue someone, stop. Take a moment, step back. Don't give an answer or take action right away until you have had time to think about it. And ask the question, is that my problem or is that mine to do? And lastly, number three, when you realize a need, verbalize it. Don't leave it for others to figure out. Don't manipulate. Don't be passive aggressive. Martha, we believe, was a two. And because of that, she invited Jesus into her home. She wanted to help. It's the way God made her. But she never asked Jesus what he wanted. You notice that? She just jumps in and starts serving. She never asked Jesus what he wanted. Now, maybe she was jumping in and serving out of true generosity. Maybe it was more out of an unhealthy place where she just wanted to impress him. But she never stopped to ask what Jesus really wanted. If she had, what do you think Jesus would have said to Martha? I think it would have been, Martha, come sit at my feet. Let's talk. Let me serve you 
and help you with your needs. And I believe Jesus says that to all of us. I believe he wants all of us to choose as what Jesus said is the better way. What we truly need. There is only one thing. And that is first to be loved by Jesus so that then we can truly and correctly love others. We must be loved by Jesus first so we can truly and correctly love others. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you for today. Thank you for this scripture. Lord, thank you for the Enneagram and for the ways that it may help those to uh, learn more about themselves, learn more about others. Lord, I just pray that it be a tool to help us to love others and love ourselves better. Lord, I thank you for making each of us unique. And Lord, I pray that we take the time and stop to ask, what do you want, Jesus? And we take the time to sit at your feet, to be loved by you so that we can go out and love others.